Father, thank you for your word and just so much that we have going on in the life of our church. Father, I thank you for all of it. What a blessing this past Sunday was. And man, I look forward to next Sunday, but, but I look forward to tonight, God. What a blessing it is for all of us in this room to be gathered in here, ready to study, ready to look at your word. And having already eaten, man, I'm thankful for the fellowship we saw around the tables, for even the, the kids playing and running. Father, that's, that's, that's life. And, and here at our church, God, we want to see that vibrant life. So thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. And as we look toward what's happening out there, in, even in our country, like at Asbury, God, we, we pray for that as well. Visit us, especially with your spirit, to draw us into your presence even greater so, Father, and pursue after holiness, if it be your desire. And while we wait on you for that, Father, and that work of the spirit, even here in our church, in our community, We hope, God, that you will find us faithful to be looking and digging into your word and to be trusting and believing in you and to be evangelizing our neighbors, telling them of the good news of Jesus Christ and that we would be praying, Father, fervently, not only for for our friends and not only for physical ailments that we may have, God, but that hearts and lives would change in people around us and in ourselves. So, Father, we pray for these things to continue there and to spread to here and around our country. For we testify and know that the desperate and great need that we have is for you to work and to move. And so, God, do that just now. And I ask it, even as we look to this passage, for you to to lead us in this way. In Christ's name, amen. We are in Exodus at the point of the people of God having come to Mount Sinai. They have been delivered out of Egypt. They had traveled some three months to get to Sinai, and they're at the mountain. And remember, there at Sinai, God came down, fire from heaven, the cloud covers the mountain, the thunder rolls, you know, the the lightning strikes, the, the earth shakes, and God speaks. And God speaks to his people, and he says, I am the Lord the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who saved you and redeems you. Now, here's how I want you to live. And there, as God has called his people out, he's created his people, bringing them to himself as he promised he would. He is going to give them the government by which they should live, the economy of things by which they should live. And it starts with the law, right? And he says, here's how you are to act as my people. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. And when we get to the end of the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, he gives them those. The people say, that's enough. We can't hear it anymore. It's too powerful. It's too great. That's enough for us. Moses, why don't you go on and talk to the Lord some more? From a distance, we'll stay back here. And so God delivers the ten by his own voice to his people so that his people know it was from the mouth of the Lord. And now we've been looking at this next section. While you have those ten commandments and all of that law is built off of them, those, these next few chapters, chapter 21, 22, and into 23, have been the book of the covenant. So Moses goes up on Sinai and he receives these These laws, if you will, the 10 become the standard. They become the baseline. And as I said before, these become like the case law, if you will. What happens in this case or that case? And 
And it becomes a testimony of laying out the law in such a way that we're reminded of what Jesus said. Love God and love neighbor. And so here that's what we've seen in this passage. These laws bear themselves out of how you are to treat one another. We've seen that that humanity is elevated above animals. It's more important than possessions. We've seen the importance or the... the, uh, the um, dignity of not only the men in society, but the ladies in society. We've seen how, how property matters, and now you have to have a way to manage things if things are broken or stolen or, or even killed. You have to manage those things. We've seen all of that laid out. And in the last section there of that book of the covenant, we get this laws about the Sabbath festivals in verse 10 of chapter 22. And he goes through of saying, here's how in some way you're to worship me and you're to set aside time to rest and to worship. And that's where we ended last week. Somebody asked me, because I didn't touch on it, that last little verse there, 29, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What does that mean? Somebody asked me that the other day. And I was like, don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What you want me to tell you, you know? I mean, it's obvious. That's <laughs> pretty plain. Um, here it's speaking of it's speaking of sacrifice and worship is what it's speaking of. And it's don't do it in indulgence, overindulgence. In other words, you bring the goat for the sacrifice, don't kill the baby too. In other words, you don't, you don't overindulge. You just bring what is required. The, the thought would be that in sacrificing an animal, if we sacrifice an animal to, to worship the Lord, then maybe he might have some favor for us if we sacrifice two, right? Or if we sacrifice three, if we keep doing this. And the Lord's saying it doesn't work that way with me. You're not buying my, my love and how many animals you sacrifice. You are atoning for your sins. And I'm telling you what it takes to atone for your sins. So don't overdo it like you would do with the gods in Egypt or in other gods in extravagance or indulgence. And so that's ultimately what he means. And then as he comes here, we get the end of the book of the covenant. The verse, verses 20 through uh, 33 that I talked to you about tonight. So we get to the end of the book of the covenant, and it becomes a time where they want to seal that covenant that we will see. And so the Lord has given not only the 10, then he gives those laws that are the case study, and now he's telling them again what he's going to do. He has done this throughout. Every time God makes a promise, he made the promise to Abraham. What did he do? He reiterated that promise with Isaac. And he made the promise, he reiterated with Isaac. What did he do? He came to Jacob and told him. Those were the patriarchs of Israel. God appeared to Abraham. God appeared to Isaac. God appeared to Jacob and gave that same promise every time, saying, this is what I will do. And that's why we talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then from Jacob, you have the 12 tribes. And so now the promise has been passed down, right? And it's been told and passed down. But here, the Lord comes again through this covenant that he's making with them at Sinai. And he says, here is my promise for you. And as we talked about covenants before, that they have a duality, if you will. What's required, what I will do and what you will do, right? what's required from me and what's required from you. And here's how the covenant works. And so that's what we begin to see. But we start off, we start off with something quite interesting as the Lord says. He has 
has given them the law, the new economy of things, the government by which they will live together and work together. And then he says in verse 20, Behold, in fact, you see the language kind of change. He goes from, from giving these laws to this I and you language. He says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. So now we're introduced to this character here. The Lord is saying, not only am I going with you, I am going to send an angel before you. Now, we recognize oftentimes our minds, when you see the word angel, you flip to some little fat, little chubby little kid with wings, right? And, and you see your little precious memories things or whatever those were. And so you have that. Angel simply means messenger in the scriptures, okay? And, and they come in a variety. In fact, the angels that are described around the throne aren't fat and little chubby and they don't look nice. They're burning flames of fire, right? And they have six wings and, and eyes. So we see that. So this means I'm putting my angel, my messenger before you, right? And so he's going out before you and he will guard you on the way and bring you to the place I prepared. So God is saying, I'm sending my man before you and he will guard you or protect you as you travel through the wilderness. And he will not only guard you, protect you, he will bring you safely home. He'll make sure you get there. God is sending his messenger, his angel before his people to protect them and to make sure they get where they are going. Now, who is that guy, right? That's what we begin to see. Now, we've seen before, and, and we have some idea of who this could possibly be. So I'll give you, give you five, and I'm going to land on the last one, which I think it is, okay? The possibilities here. Could this be simply the cloud? Remember, we have a cloud, and that cloud is the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. Represents the presence of God with his people. Y'all remember that? That will stay. That will remain. And, and that represents the presence. And, and it's leading out. It led the people out of, of through the Red Sea. It went behind them to protect them from the, uh, the Egyptian army. And it ultimately led them. It's from the cloud that the manna came down, you know, and, and was on the ground every morning. It represents the presence of God with his people. The people could look and see that cloud in the daytime, that fire at night, and they knew God was always with them. Whenever the tabernacle is built, the tent is built, and the Holy of Holies is inside there, that most holy place, whenever that is built, that cloud would stop, and that's where they would build it, right there, where the cloud stops. They build it because that's God's presence with his people. When it moved, they move. When it stayed, they stayed. That's what Moses says. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay. I'm not going anywhere without you. That's that cloud. The problem is, I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about here because that cloud is an inanimate object in some way. Here we have a living, moving, and even speaking being here that's coming to us, a messenger. Not only that, we have this messenger has an ability that we'll see. This ability is to pardon sins in the name of God. His name is not only does he carry his name, his name is what? In him. And so that's who, that's who this is. I'll get that right. 
Second, it could just be a metaphor, like for guidance or help. I'm going to send this one before you for guidance or help. But again, a metaphor can't do anything. It's just a it's just a, 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 a rhetorical device to help you understand something. I don't think it's that, right? It could be a, a human being or a messenger, as we said, maybe Moses himself. But remember, Moses did not enter, so Moses doesn't get them safely home. Moses sinned, or, or could it be Joshua? But if you say it's Joshua, then you have to say, because maybe in Joshua, because uh, Yeshua, the name is in him, right? Maybe that's it, but Joshua doesn't have the power to forgive sins, to forgive transgressions. Maybe could it be an actual angel, someone like a Michael or others, like a Jude 9, Revelation 12, 7, but we still have the issue of forgiving sins. I think y'all see where I'm going, don't you? Everybody see where we're going here? Ultimately, I think we have in, in, in this instance, and I can make the argument that satisfies myself, I think we have another case of a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ Jesus. We've talked about this before. Jesus did not just begin when he was born and placed in a manger. He is eternal. He's always been. And as we know, God the Father does not have a body like men, right? He never shows up in bodily form. In fact, Jesus says he is spirit. God the Father is spirit. And so the one who represents and has a body like men is Christ Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity. And so here I believe what we see is the Lord is saying, not only is my cloud and my presence will be with you through that, I am sending, I am sending this one before you who will be, have the power to forgive your sins, right? And he will protect you and he will bring you safely home. That's who I'm sending before you. And it doesn't mean that they see some guy walking in front of them. He's going before them, right? Does that make sense to everybody? It's not as if he's just walking with them here. It's the Lord saying he is going before you. And what does he say to do? He says, he will guard you he, and he will bring you to the place that I prepared. So 21 tells us then, pay careful attention to him. Obey his voice. This one will take care of everything. You just listen to him. Have y'all ever told that to your kids? Every time I get in the car with my kids, I have a funny joke. It's funny to me. Well, I guess that's a dad joke. So my kids will be in the car, backseat behind me, and what I say, hey, y'all follow me, right? They got no other choice. <laughs> and so we say that, but, but you know, there come those times. I remember Allison and I, when we, we went to South Asia with all of our kids. Macy was three. Levi was five. Wiles was eight. And we were crazy. Y'all see? And we're going through the airport, and there can be some touchy situations in the airport, especially when you go into another country, and you, I don't want to lose a kid, you know? It's not my, not there. And so you go through that, and I remember telling them, y'all listen to me. Don't do anything unless I tell you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all probably had these moments in your life. Don't do a thing unless I tell you to do that thing. And if you do a thing that I didn't tell you to do, there's going to be major things happening. Like that man right there is going to take you and put you in prison. <laughs> that worked. This is, my job is to get you through here safely and to the other side, right? That's exactly what we see here. The Lord is saying, here's what I'm doing for you. I'm making this easy on you. 
I will take care of you. I will guard you. I will protect you. And I will make sure you get safely home. You just follow me. You just follow me. That's the covenant relationship that you have. Your responsibility and duty is to follow. I will take care of everything else. I'll take care of everything else. So he says in verse 22, but if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Now, here's why I think this is Christ, obviously. I believe this is Christ because he is one who is God. His name is in him, right? He is also one who can forgive sins. He has the power to do that. But as we read throughout Scripture, he is our guardian. He is our God. He speaks with authority. We must listen to him. He brings the word of God to us because he is the word himself. We must listen to him. But let's get this full picture. Remember what Jesus himself told us. And, and let me just trace some things out. By the way, I do think there's a time in our passage, a hint here in our passage, where we see this individual. Y'all turn with me to, to Joshua chapter 5. Here in Joshua chapter 5, Moses has passed. That generation is gone. They've crossed the Jordan. So the people of Israel are now in the promised land. And it's time, as we see in the text, even what we're reading here, it's time for them to start running out those nations that are in that land, right? And so what's the first battle? Y'all remember? Joshua fought the battle of? See, y'all remember then. That's why songs are important in life. So Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and Joshua's got this ragtag bunch of people he's just carried through the wilderness. They've been eating this manna. They have been having a little bit of quail. Some, some rocks have been popping through some water. It's all been good for them. But they're not trained soldiers, right? They haven't been in an army that is trained and equipped for Jericho, this city with walls that are thicker than they can ever possibly imagine, a fortress there. They're not equipped for that. And so here's Joshua, pensive, doubting probably, walking outside of Jericho going, Lord, I do not know how this is going to work. And understand, Joshua had put his own self on the line because Joshua was one of the 12 spies who went into the promised land and said, we can take them. When the other 10 said, their cities are too big, they're too big, they're too great of warriors, we will lose Joshua's one said, no, God said he would fight for us. What are we doing? Let's go. We can take them. Now Joshua has marched this group into town. Not only that, by the way, just a side note, just a side note, Joshua has marched this group into town and he just circumcised all of the men over 40 three or four days before. You go to battle with them. Y'all see what I'm saying? And so here is Joshua going, I got this group. What am I supposed to do with this place? And ultimately what happens? I think the angel of the Lord who guards his people and makes sure they get safely home showed himself at this point to Joshua. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Y'all remember what the promise was? 
if you be obedient to me, if you be obedient to this one, then I will be against your enemies and I will be for your friends, right? So what is it? Are you with us? Are you with them? Joshua knew that this one who was standing before him was formidable. And it was important to know which one are you for. But it goes back to that Exodus 23. Are you for us or for our enemies? Who are you for? I love what this one says because he comes up. Josh asks him, are you for us or for our enemies? And he said, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now, I love that picture. Why? Because I believe this is the one the Lord promised would go before them and guard them and protect him. And at Joshua's probably weakest moment of doubt, as he's staring at this huge city that he's got to knock down and take over with a ragtag bunch who's just been circumcised a couple days before. And he's looking at this place going, I don't know how we do this. God's got to show up. God shows up. And at that moment, the Lord shows up with this one who has gone before them. And what does he say when Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? Harkening back to that promise in, 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 in chapter 23 of Exodus. No, that's not the question. <laughs> I am the commander of the Lord's armies. Who are you for, Joshua? I have not come to take sides, right? I've come to take charge. Now, are you for me or against me? And what does Joshua do? I'm with you. And he bows down and worships. Recognize in Scripture, worship is never allowed, never allowed to anyone other than God himself. It's always condemned if it's done to another. But here, he says, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground, just like was told at the bush that was burning and not consumed. And not only that, Joshua gets his marching orders from this commander of the Lord's army, and he goes in chapter 6, and what does Joshua say? He goes back with those orders, and he says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. As if this same one is speaking, and Joshua, this is the Lord himself. I believe this is that one showing up. I believe this is another pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, saying, I'm the one the Lord promised will guard you and I will get you safely home. Here's how we're going to handle Jericho. And what was Joshua to do for Jericho? Just be obedient. It sounded crazy. March around the city every day, don't say a word, which is incredibly hard to pull off. You try to get people to stop talking. March around the city every day for seven, six days, right? Don't say a word on that seventh day. March around seven times and then scream. You'll see what happens. Blow the trumpets. You'll see what happens. And the plan of God was just simply for Joshua to be obedient. The nonsense of the plan is a testimony to God saying, I will take care of all of this. You just be obedient. And so ultimately that's what we see. There's the appearance of him there. But of course, Jesus comes again, right? In the Gospels. And what does Jesus say in the Gospels? Turn with me to John chapter 16. Y'all may already know this passage. In fact, if you don't, we need to work on that. Because I, I meant 14. 
as Jesus has been walking with his disciples, the 12 disciples, has been walking them through, the time has come for Jesus to do what? Be crucified. In John 14, we're in the final week of Jesus' life. The final week. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, and what does he say? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In, in my Father's house are many rooms. If, I were, if it were not so, would I have told you that what? I go to prepare a place for you, right? And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and take you to myself where I'm going. Do y'all see that language? It's the same thing as Exodus 23. Jesus says there's another promised land for us, greater than the first one that we long for in heaven. I'm going before you to prepare it for you, and I'm going to bring you safely there, right? And here's how I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to send my messenger, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to walk with you every step of the way. Ultimately here, what we see is Jesus fulfilling exactly the picture we see, that Exodus 23 is a glimpse of what Jesus will ultimately do for all of his people. He will not only die for them, save them, he will guard them, protect them, and bring them safely home. So all of us have this one who is the commander of the army of the Lord who has fought for us. And how did he fight for us? He took down something greater than Jericho. He conquered our sin. What we could not conquer. He took down something greater than the thick walls of that city. He took down death itself. He fought on our behalf. And doesn't it sound ludicrous on how he pulled that off? Surely it's the scandal of the cross, right? God, eternal, will come down, fully God, fully man, live amongst his people, and die on a cross? Paul says that's foolishness and nonsense to people, right? But to God, it's the power of salvation. And what's left for us, he has come to save us and redeem us. He has gone before us, preparing the place. He's going to bring us safely home. And he's given us something greater than a cloud to testify to the presence of God over some little tent outside. He's given us the spirit of God to dwell in each and every one of our hearts. So we know he is with us. And we know he's going to bring us safely home. What's left for us? Follow him. Do what he's called us to do. Live according to his word. Follow him. That's all that's left. And here in Exodus 23, we see that very thing. Listen, here's how I'm going to do it. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and to the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you." In other words, you cannot serve God and. If we're going to follow the Lord, here's what he's saying. There is an exclusivity to the people of God. 
that not only can, is God the only one who can save us, he's the only one who can lead us. He's the only one who can take us there. And that's no surprise in John 14 when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, I'll return. And what does he say next? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is an exclusivity exclusivity to Christianity in its very core, that there is no other Savior, there is no other Lord, there is no other one that we can give our allegiance to. And that's what Jesus is saying here. What the Lord's saying here. Don't go into Canaan land where there's all kind of other gods, they're worshiping all these idols. Don't go up in there and bow down to them. In fact, you go in and you drive them out and you crush their pillars and you crush their idols and you end it. That's what you're to do. Follow me, the Lord says. You cannot serve God and anything else. God calls his people to exclusivity of following him and him alone. You shall serve the Lord. He will bless your bread and water. I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days I will send my terror before you that will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. The Lord says, you're going to drive these people out, but I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it for you. So he goes before them, and how does he go before them? He says, I'm going to go before you. And he says, I'm going to go, what else goes before? His terror, right? And what does he say his terror is going to look like? Hornets. Now, there's a, there's a debate of whether or not this is a metaphor he's using of terror and hornets. I like to think it's true. Like, could you imagine the Lord just turning loose a whole mess of hornets up into one of them cities? Have y'all ever seen somebody get into a hornet's nest? Have you ever seen it from a distance? It's quite hilarious from a distance. Y'all know what I'm saying? They're swatting and they're running and you don't know what's going on and they're dropping and rolling. I remember when I was young getting into a hornet's nest and we had a pond on our property and it was about 100 yards away and I just took off sprinting straight to the pond, just dove right in, didn't even come up for air. Because you got to get away from those things. They're attacking you and you can't see them, Right? The Lord's saying, I'm going before you, even with hornets. I'll drive them out, and you don't even have to do anything. You just got to follow me. I'll take care of everything for you. You just got to follow me. That terror will look like hornets going before you, and he'll drive them out. Look at what's 29. The Lord is, is just genius in what he says. I will not drive them out before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I'll drive them out from before you until you have increased to possess the land. In other words, the Lord says, I'm not going to drive them all at once. I'm going to let your enemies serve you. They're going to keep the land ready. So, and he tells them this before, when you move in, all you got to do is take the crops that they've already planted and eat them. You don't even have to plant the crops, he said. You don't have to take care of things. I'll make sure that they keep the wild beasts down, that they keep the land ready, and you get into a land that is prepared for you. That's prepared for you. Little by little, your enemies will even serve you by preparing it. I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. 
For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out from before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. God is not only wanting the exclusive worship, you shall have no other gods before me. He's telling them, you've got to protect against that. In order to have no other gods before me, you've got to get the other gods out of your life. You've got to move them away from you. You've got you to end them. You can't flirt with this. This is not something for you to flirt with, the worship of other gods. You must remove them entirely. In this way, we recognize that the people of God were moving into this land that was inhabited by a polytheistic culture. And the Lord said, here's how you deal with this. Here's how you deal with this. You move in and you get rid of those gods. There's only one. There's only one. And it'll be a problem for you if you don't. Y'all remember there was a problem for the people of God, even whenever they inhabited the land. And Joshua tells us, and the people inhabited the land. But what did they not do? They didn't kick out all the other gods. And from that point on, it will be a constant problem for the people of God a problem that will ultimately lead to the destruction of their land, to the exile of the people because they didn't do what God said they had to do. And it's the same problem for us. For if we believe in Jesus Christ as the only one who can save us, then we must follow him and not add anything else, not add one other thing to who we serve. It's God and God alone. Through his son, Jesus Christ, that's who we serve. So as the Lord brings them out and gives them these Ten Commandments and then gives them this book of the covenant, he says to them, listen, I am going to take care of everything for you. Just follow me. I'm going to do it. I'll drive them out. I'll take care of this. You do not need to fear. I will take care of it all. You just follow me. And I believe the call that we as believers in 2023 in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have is the same. We have one who's gone before us, who suffered on the cross, knowing what was awaiting him. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place and I'm going to bring you safely there. So follow me. And so as a people, if we desire revival amongst us, it always begins with our own heart being, being ignited again to follow after the only one who can save us and lead us safely home. And where we err is when we turn to other things, other places, whatever society lays out. We don't need another Savior. We have the only one. We don't need another Lord. We have the only one. And we have his word. And all he's saying to us is, I will take care of everything. You guys just follow me. Just follow me. Let's pray together. Father, help us to do exactly what your word says, to follow you. And so, God, may all of us in this room be committed to just that. All for your glory and all for your name. We pray these things in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.